0: Hey, so it's been a blessing for me. Let me just bless the Lord right now. I want to bless the Lord and praise Him for these past 10 days. We've had a 10 days of prayer experience. We've been meeting at the hospital chapel uh, with a small group there every night. Maybe you've been taking advantage of the 10 days of prayer, not necessarily coming to the 10 nights that we've been praying together, but maybe you found a prayer partner, or maybe you've set a date with God every single day of that week. Um, And I hope that you've been blessed in the process. I know as we shared around in that circle last night, we've been able to experience some deeper with God. And uh, some of us have even seen specific answers to prayer. And um, what was really neat, uh, I'll just share quickly and then we'll get into our message, new year, new yet, new nets. Uh, What was really neat is that the last, the second to the last night, we actually did a little exercise where everybody got a piece of paper or two or three, and I challenged everybody to write down a bold prayer for our Castle Rock Church. A bold prayer that we want to see God answer in a way that is. Obviously from him, as Ephesians 3.20 20 says, um, that he is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we could ask or think. And so everybody took some time, wrote, wrote down this prayer request. We put it in a basket, and then we kind of swapped. Everybody picked out a prayer to pray for that wasn't theirs. And last night when we got together, we shared those things. And I tell you what, a lot of those prayer requests were very similar, if not exactly the same, uh, to each other. Um, and I've kind of compiled a list of just kind of three categories, prayers for more prayers for community impact and prayers for revival. And, uh, if you'd like to see the specific prayer requests, uh, we're going to send those out via text. So subscribe to Castle (laughs) Rock. Actually, I'll have the printed, I'll have the printed list next sabbath but i'd be happy to send those out actually at one o'clock if you've already subscribed at one o'clock you're going to get a ding on your text and it'll ask you if you want to be part of the prayer partners subgroup of the castle rock uh Text loops. Anyways, just, just giving you a heads up. And um, yeah, so those bold prayers were huge. And it, it really lines up with what we're talking about New Year, new nets. If you saw or if you were here the first Sabbath of the year, we, we kind of started this message series because the reality is that I believe God wants to cast nets into the Castle Rock community. You know, when he walked up to the seashore of, of the Sea of Galilee, He was starting to preach in Mark chapter one, verse 14. He started to preach and proclaim the everlasting gospel, the gospel of the kingdom of God. And the very first thing he does is he walks up to a seashore and he looks for partners. The partners he looks for are people who know how to fish. People who know how to do two specific things. According to Mark 16 through 19, chapter one, verses 16 through 19, it says that they were casting nets and they were mending nets. And that detail totally blew my mind as I, as I was thinking about it. Um, it. The reality is that Jesus n- doesn't just want to look for people who know how to cast nets. He's looking for people to partner with him that know how to mend nets too. And the reality is that to effectively cast our nets... We must intentionally mend our nets. And so today we're going to just kind of take a look. How do we have new nets? How can we assess our nets and recognize the brokenness and then actually go about mending those nets together? Let's pray together as we dive into our study. Father in heaven, there are bold prayers that that several of us are wanting to pray that many of us want to unite in prayer for. And the reality is that when we seek to be a blessing here in Castle Rock, we know that we cannot effectively cast nets if we haven't been intentional about mending our own nets. And so, Father, first of all, forgive us for casting broken nets. Forgive us for assuming and presuming that um, that, that, that is your primary objective. But maybe what you want us to really zero in on is how we can tie our knots together. Father, I pray that as we study the word today, you would teach us, that you would instruct us not just on a head level, but on a heart level, and that we would hear the voice of the living God speaking through the living and active word. I pray, Father, for the Holy Spirit, because really spiritual things are spiritually discerned, and you know where our hearts are and where our hearts are not. And so we ask that you would do a miracle in us and cause us to hear from you today. This is our prayer. In Jesus' saving name, let the family say, amen, amen. Amen. So mending, mending. Go there with me. Mark chapter one. I was kind of getting ahead of myself there. Mark chapter one. This is where we started the series, and this will just kind of be uh, a setup for what we're trying to focus on today. Mark chapter one. To effectively cast nets, we must intentionally mend nets. This is something that the disciples understood. This is something that every net fishing fisherman understands. Mark chapter 1, beginning in verse 16, when you're there, say, I found it. it. Nice. All right. Mark chapter 1, verse 16, I'm reading from the New King James. The Bible says And as he, Jesus, walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Then Jesus said to them, follow me, I will make you become fishers of men. They immediately left their nets and followed him. And when he had gone a little farther from there, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who also were in the boat doing what? Mending their nets, mending their nets. And and we study this word. Uh, This word is actually something that occurs several times throughout the New Testament. And apparently it's not just fishing nets that need mending in scripture. It's not just fishing nets that need physical adjustment. And the word itself, if you want to give this an attempt, it's katarizo. Katarizo, that's the Greek word. Caterizo—it means to properly and exactly fit. To adjust and to be in good working order. And apparently James and John, they knew that before they could go about casting again, they needed to adjust, properly fit. Make sure that their nets were in good working order. There's a process to it. It's pretty precise. You look up on YouTube, some fishermen actually showing you how to tie knots in nets. But the reality is that it's not just nets. The other things in the New Testament, as we discovered a few weeks ago, there are things like our praise needs to be perfected. Our praise needs to be adjusted to God. It's, it's not just our praise, but it's we ourselves, because Jesus teaches in Luke 6 that there are disciples who are prone to blindness and hypocrisy that need to be trained and equipped. <clears throat> it's not just us and our hearts, but it's us and our relationships as well. In 1 Corinthians, Paul uses this catarizo idea to talk about a divided church that needs to be mended. And then later on in Hebrews, it talks about uh, just anyone who wants to be effective in the kingdom of God, they need to be mended. The word isn't mended in Hebrews chapter 13, it's, it's, uh, it's uh, equipped, but again, it's using this katarizo idea. And the reality is that in the Old Testament, when, the, the, when you look at the Greek, words, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, katarizo shows up most often in the book of Ezra. Do you remember when Ezra lived? Ezra lived during a time when there was something that needed to happen. It was a rebuilding of broken down walls. catarizzo is the word that's used to, to rebuild this identity of a relationship with God. And that's where, where we're talking about this idea of what needs to be mended in our lives. It's What needs to be mended is not just attitudes and behaviors. What needs to be mended is relationships. Do you you catch that idea? What needs to be mended is not just nets. What needs to be mended is relationships. Mm -hmm. The reality is it's relationships horizontally. That needs to be mended. But but those horizontal relationships are completely contingent upon our mending of a vertical relationship. Mm -hmm. That's what the Old Testament experience was. They needed to mend their relationship with God, their identity as a people who are chosen and loved by God. And so we've got to start there. We've got to start there. Focusing on mending a knot that matters most. Because when we build relationships with others, without a living relationship with Jesus, we will have no saving impact. Mm. Nothing. It'll be like salt without flavor. And how can that be salted again except to be born again? I think that's why Jesus, when he's kind of winding down his earthly ministry, and he he realizes he just has a Last Supper with them, and then from the Last Supper, he goes and he walks with uh, his 12. Actually, I guess it's 11 by that time. He walks with his 11 disciples, and he goes through this vineyard, and he stops, and he says, you know what? This is the kind of relationship you need. Just like a branch is abiding in the vine, staying vitally connected, can't bear fruit unless it's vitally connected. This is why Jesus was so intent on it, because in those final hours, he he knew that apart from an abiding relationship with him, no fruit would flourish, no divine purpose would be fulfilled in their lives. And so the guiding question we want to consider over the next, uh, actually today, and then over the next few weeks, even into February, is what are the things that fray our connection with God? This, really, this is going to kind of cause us to reflect a little bit and take honest stock of where our connection is with God. I mean, we may assume that we've got a connection with God, but when you le- read through John 15, there are branches in him that don't bear fruit. I don't know if you've ever caught that, but it's in the first few verses of John 15. There are branches in him that aren't vitally connected to him. So we need to take, take stock and, and just ask ourselves, well, what are the things that are eating away at our connection with God. And we're going to answer that question in several different ways, but there's a, a, another question because it, it follows that up. Once we identify the things that fray our connection, then we ask, well, then how do we actually amend our knots? <laughs> when we have a broken connection with God, how do we go about mending those knots? And maybe that question is actually, it's phrased wrong. Maybe it's how do we let God mend our knots, right? Because <laughs> ultimately we can't rebuild a bridge back to heaven. We, we can't restore our connection with Jesus, but he has done everything uh, in his power to give of himself so that we can have a vital living relationship with Jesus. So over the next few weeks, that's what we're going to talk about. I'll just give you the short answer, and then we're going to spread out that answer over the next three or four weeks. What, what phrase our connection with God? I'll tell you, number one, sin, <laughs> Right? I mean, that's kind of the, the blatant, the obvious answer. It's sin. But then there are others that are a little less obvious, a little more subtle. And that would be inattention and difficulties. Ever thought about when, when you have a strained relationship with somebody else, the things that, that result in that? Usually it's, whoa, I totally messed up and I offended them. That's, that's, that would be kind of the parallel of sin to God. <laughs> Um, sometimes it's, I just haven't even called that person I haven't even checked in with them, and because of that there's a distancing, a slow fade, so to speak. that's the inattention dynamic. but then there's other times where life just gets it gets rough and it causes us to question how valued or strong that relationship really is. Those are the difficulties part and we'll, we'll kind of stretch out that that experience or that study over the next several weeks. but today what I want to zero in on is when it comes to our relationship with God and we experience sin in our lives, man, how how does that separate us and how do we go about bridging the gap? Okay, so let's start now. We're going from Mark. Let's get back now to our Bibles. Let's go to Isaiah chapter 59. Isaiah chapter 59. And this is going to kind of help us get an idea of how sin actually does eat away at our relationship. Isaiah 59 and verse 2. I want to be able to get to some other verses and so we'll uh, yeah we'll make this work here we go Isaiah 59 so Isaiah it's a little bit more than halfway through your Bible if you're in the Psalms go to the right Isaiah chapter 59 if you're there go ahead and say I'm there all right Isaiah 59 verse 2 actually I'll start in verse 1 Isaiah 59 the Bible reads behold the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, nor his ear heavy that it cannot hear. In other words, if you're feeling a disconnect from God, it's not because God can't reach you. If you're feeling a disconnect from God, it's not because God's ears are, need, need a good cleaning. No. In verse 2, here's the reason. But your iniquities have separated you from your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. In the grand context of Isaiah, Isaiah is talking to a people, a collective group, who have habitually, over generations, rejected God's way. Okay, so there's a specific application to Isaiah's audience right there. But individually, I think we can, exp- we can resonate with this experience where, where our iniquities and our sins, you notice there's two different words there in verse 2. Your iniquities have separated you, your sins have hidden his face from you. The, the Old Testament scriptures have a few different words, sins, iniquities, transgressions that one's not here in Isaiah 59. But you get this idea that sins are, are missing the mark. They're the mistakes, the, the shortcomings. Iniquities are, are a reference to the, the inward dynamics, the, the inward perversity, the distortion of our own hearts that causes these outward mistakes. And then transgressions. Those are the kind of the thumbing your nose at God. Like, I know exactly what I'm doing and I'm going to do it. It's, it's raising your fist at God. That's the Transgression. But here we're talking about those inward realities, those outward manifestations of that inward perversity. The range of meaning is there, whether it's hidden sin or or, or subtle sin, or it's blatant and outright sin. Maybe it's missing the mark or it's straight out rebellion. Maybe it's inward perversity or maybe it's outward behavior. Whatever the nature of the sin we're dealing with, the result is the same. And the result, Isaiah 59 verse 2 says, your iniquities have separated you. That's the result. The knots have been broken. That's the result. And in fact, the, the word here for separated, it's the same word that's used throughout Genesis 1 where God is in his creative activity and he separates light from dark, right? He separates day from night. He separates waters above from waters below. He separates all these things, and, and it's, it's as if uh, He's doing things in a way that's completely distinct, completely separate. In the temple services throughout the Old Testament Scriptures, this word for separate is talked about the distinction from the holy place and the most holy place. It's separated by a veil. you remember that? And also, it's used to define the, the difference of the sacrifices or the difference of the animals, that these are clean animals distinct from unclean animals. In other words, when Isaiah is using this idea of our sins and iniquities separating us, he's telling us that we're not just distanced from God, like he's up there and I'm down here, but that we are of a completely different nature from God. Did you, did you get that? It's not just that we're in def- different places. I'm, or He's in the garden. I'm out of the garden. That's not just what sin does. Sin declassifies us as no longer being partakers of the divine nature. Remember, he created us in his image. That was who we are. And yet sin does something to our relationship where it c- completely separates us. Now let's be honest, that hurts, right? That hurts. No doubt it hurts us. When we separate from the one who is life, we reap the, the consequences of that. We reap death, we reap destruction, we reap the curses of, of sin. But it indeed pains God even more. That his own children would walk away from being children. In fact, throughout Isaiah 59, the, the story kind of continues here. In Isaiah 59, you get the emotional charge of what Jesus is, is going through as he sees his people just persisting in their rebellion. And Down in verse 15, kind of halfway through verse 15, it says, Then the Lord saw it. All leading up to this, you know, he's kind of been rehearsing the results of their inward separation from God. And then halfway through verse 15, it says, Then the Lord saw it. And it displeased him. Like it, it turned his stomach. He was so upset about this. Not not as if he's like out to get somebody, but he's just like he can't handle he can't sit and tolerate this. And the rest of the verse is that there was no justice. He saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no intercessor. Therefore, his own arm brought salvation for him and his own righteousness, it sustained him. Uh, Jesus is becoming this warrior that's about to execute salvation, not execute judgment. He's just saying, no, I've got to do this. I've got to save him. Nobody else is going to save him. I'm going to do this. And this is the original armor of God here in verse 17, for he put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. This is the Lord who seeks to save the lost. So praise the Lord that even though Isaiah 59 tells us the straight out truth, hey, sin separates us. It tears our knots from God. Praise the Lord that God doesn't let that be the end of the story, right? We know the steps that he has taken. I mean, Isaiah 59 is kind of giving us a preview. Isaiah 53 tells us explicitly how he does it, right? He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace, our wholeness was upon him. He became the Lamb of God to take away the sins of the world. He was the high priest now who who ever lives to make intercession for us and is therefore able to save us to the uttermost, all those who come to God through him. That's the beauty of what he has done to mend our knot with him. And the question today is, what are the steps that we take? We know that the steps that he has taken. We know the way of the Lord, but what is... What are the steps that we take to mend? How do we come to God through Jesus? Remember, it's really His work. It's, it's not so much how do we mend our knot with God. It's how do we let God mend our knots with Him? How do we avail ourselves of all the steps that He has taken? And so today, what I want to do is just kind of, in order to answer that question, is, is almost do a little bit of a, of a case study scenario. We could look to several different characters in scripture who have fallen, who have broken their knots with God. Um, I mean, it's, it's kind of encouraging that we're not the only ones, right? But, but we're going to focus on a character named David. Maybe you remember him, a shepherd boy who became king, who ruled in such a way that that really god's people grew and flourished even before he was a successful king god identified him as a man after my own heart and yet even that kind of man experienced broken knots with god the beauty of david's story is that david's story didn't end with an unmended knot it ended with a restored relationship yeah I mean, we could look at other uh, examples. We could look at Jacob. We could look at Moses. We could look at Peter. But David's experience is unique, both in its extremity. <laughs> like, it's a pretty extreme scenario. So if God could do that for him, then he can surely do it. You know, that kind of a thing. Um, but it's also unique in terms of its clarity, because we really do get good eyes on his experience. And so that's what we're going to do. You know the story. Maybe you don't. It's recorded in the Old Testament scriptures. We don't need to go in detail about that. But here's what I will share. David was entrusted with spiritual leadership. David was entrusted to lead God's people. And, and because of his own hang-ups, because of his own decision, he committed both adultery and murder in a matter of a few days. He, he was using deceit to, uh, to cover up his steps And yet God did not abandon him. God sent him a word from the Lord. And when that word from the Lord came to him, he didn't run from it. He didn't reject it. He didn't deny it. He became real with it. And so what I want to do is, he's written some songs out of that experience. And I want to look at those songs because that that gives us a sneak peek. And so we're going to try something a little bit different here today. We're going to go to Psalm 32 and also Psalm 51. But let's first go to Psalm 32. And uh, what I want to do is you can, if you are, I don't know, some of us are collaborative learners. Some of us are are better. uh, We we hate study groups and things like that. So we'd rather study, do our homework on our own, so to speak. But I'm going to give you three or four minutes to read psalm 32 verses one through five you can sit by yourself and read this or you can turn to somebody to your right or to your left and read this okay read those first five verses of psalm 32 and ask yourself what are the mending steps if any what are the mending steps that david talks about here in psalm 32 okay so we've got three minutes ready steady go all right (laughs) okay what step are you thinking about or steps confess your sin okay yeah confess did, any, did anybody else see that confessing confessing okay anybody want to add to that or um, just reiterate yes Before confessing I have to acknowledge ah okay okay so acknowledge uh, being being able to come to grips with it personally and then there's a vocalization of it in confession. Okay, yeah, that's good. That's good. I think it starts with an understanding that the first verse is that there is forgiveness. Whoa. There is forgiveness. Otherwise yeah. It'd be an effort if you uh-huh. Uh-huh. Kind of shot in the dark kind of thing. And well, let's see. Yeah. I see that you've got to give up all your excuses. Mm. All your ways so okay. Can, can everybody hear on that side? Yeah. Okay. What's there? Sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. Is there anything else? Yeah. Yeah. So an, uh, an acknowledgement, not just of your sin, but prior to that an acknowledgement that there's forgiveness for it. Yeah. Okay. And then not, what, what was it? Stop making excuses. I think is what I heard there. Okay. Right, 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 right. Okay. 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 What else? of The conviction of the Holy Spirit. The conviction of the Holy Spirit. Okay. God's hand is heavy upon him. Oh. Ah, the, cool. like, the arm of God, his hand is over him. Mm. As compassion
1: okay. wow.
0: reaching out to him, where mm. he feels it as a guilty hand Whew, heavy, because of his own heart. His yeah. Compassion. Oh, this is cool. Did you guys hear that? Well, this is fun. I'm like, yeah, this this is where I get to learn too. Was there something else you wanted to say, Bernice? This was it. That was it. God's hand. God. Yeah, Richard. Don't, don't hide your iniquity. Mm. It you bad and Okay. Okay. Yes. Yeah. When they, like, actually ran from God and hid themselves and covered their own shame, right, with things of their own making. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Okay, this is great. Um, was there, yeah, go ahead, Walter. Appreciation. Appreciation. Oh, down in verse 11. Nice. Be glad in the Lord. Actually appreciating and not just feeling like you're entitled to this. But yeah. Okay. Good. There was another hand I saw on this side. Um, Just piggybacking on what other people have said, kind of the role of guilt and the good work that guilt can do. Okay. I don't regret anything that I ever did in my life. It all brought me here and made me who I am. Sure. But this shows that there was a real place and peace for him to own it and say that was wrong and I need to make it right. Yeah. Yeah. So owning it. Not not dwelling upon the past as if you've got to stay there, but actually taking responsibility and then that allows you to deal with it with God. Hmm. This is great. Praise the Lord. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um Okay, so your list was a lot longer than mine. This is great. <laughs> so let, let me just share kind of as I was processing it. Um, and maybe, maybe there's some overlap. Maybe, maybe there are things that, that are uh, you know really intertwined here. Um, and I'm glad we're getting a recording of this because I want to write this stuff down later too. So, in verses 1 and 2, yeah, I see this too as a step. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, in whose spirit there is no deceit. In other words, David acknowledges this fact. He is assured that God's mercy forgives and covers transgression. Even before it's asked for, even before it's recognized the need for, remember Romans 5, 8 says that, uh, God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Somehow, David was able to look to God with that kind of eye. Do you remember David's favorite place to hang out, by the way? David's favorite place to hang out. The one thing he wanted in life, in Psalm 27, verse 4, one thing have I desired of the Lord, that will I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. David understood something about God because God's way is made clear in the sanctuary. All the steps that God takes to mend are mapped out in the sanctuary. And that first step is he becomes a lamb to take away our sins. David understands. He looks to God. He looks to his mercy. He looks to him as one who knows how to forgive. Verses 3 and 4 we know that this didn't help his mending. It didn't help him to keep silent about it, right? It didn't help for him to pretend as if it wasn't there. You know, oftentimes the strength of sin's hold in our lives is in its secrecy. Mm-hmm. Have you noticed that? The strength of sin is sometimes broken by simply getting it out of, of the secret, out of out of the closet, so to speak. And then finally in verse 5, I acknowledged my sin. So there's this acknowledgement awareness coming to grips boy and you know what verse 5 has all three words for sin sin iniquity transgression i don't know if you noticed that i acknowledged my sin to you and my iniquity i have not hidden i said i will confess my transgressions to the lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin david owned the full range not just of his misdeeds and actions but of the heart that preceded it yeah and let's go to Psalm 51. Psalm 51. <clears throat> Psalm 51, basically it has um, all three of those dynamics, or all, all, I guess those two dynamics, being assured of God's mercy and acknowledging it, confessing it. But then he leans into something that's hinted at in Psalm 32, but, but maybe a little bit more specified. All right, so Psalm 51. Psalm 51, if you're there, say amen. amen. All right, verse one. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to what? "...your loving-kindness according to the multitude of your tender mercies." There's the acknowledgement. There's this assurance again, this blessed assurance that even before he deserved it, God's loving-kindness was reaching out towards him. I'm so thankful that God loves us with an everlasting love. It lasts, it's not contingent upon anything we do or don't do. God's love is for us and toward us. So again, he's assured of God's mercy... But then in verse, uh, let's see here, down in verse 3, it says this, For I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Again, in verse 2, iniquity. Verse 3, transgression and sin. And there's this experience of acknowledgement. This experience of owning the sin, being honest with God about it. But then I, you maybe notice I kind of bypassed verse 2. <laughs> Verse 2, there's, there's an additional step that's not so expressed in Psalm 32. But he, he makes it very clear. This is a prayer. It's a big ask. So he's got the assurance of God's love. He's acknowledged his own sin. And now he's got a big ask for God. In verse 2, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Actually, there's three petitions. It starts at the end of verse 1. Blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. Again, the full range of sin. Sin, iniquity, transgression. He's asking for God to deal with all of it. But what, it, what stands out to me is that he is asking to be cleansed of all of it. In other words, he's asking for a transformation from the inside out. He didn't just ask for, God, don't let me do that again. Don't, don't, give me power to not make that mistake again. That's not what David asked for. He wasn't asking God to apply his saving power to his outward behaviors. He was asking God for inward cleansing. That's a big difference. Yeah, that's a, that's a huge difference. In verses 10 through 12, notice again that he's, he's, he knows where everything starts create, this is verse 10, create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit within me and do not cast me away from your presence. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy. There's that joy, appreciation part. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. He's asking for cleansing. He's asking for a new heart. He's asking for a new spirit. By the way, these are the three things that are promised in the new covenant promise of Ezekiel 36. He'll cleanse us. He'll give us a new heart. He'll give us a new spirit and cause us to walk in his statutes. Now, this is powerful. David wasn't just sorrowful for what was done He wasn't just sorry about its consequences or its public effects. Maybe he was feeling the the, the sorrow of that, but that wasn't his greatest sorrow. The greatest sorrow was that he recognized that those outward things were just symptoms of a deeper disease. A disease that needed healing. David sorrowed for the kind of heart that his actions revealed. He sorrowed that he was separated from his God in heart and in nature, that he was declassified from him and wanted to be Made one with him. This is what David was asking for. He prayed not just for modification of his behavior, but for mending of his heart to God. That's where David was. That's how he mended his knots. I love this. This is in a a powerful book. Oh, sorry. So if we're just uh, kind of reviewing here, mending steps, we've got prior assurance, right? that, That God's forgiveness is for us. We've got honest acknowledgement and then heart cleansing is what he's asking for. Prior assurance, honest acknowledgement, and heart cleansing. And I love this quote from a book called Steps to Christ. It says, David's repentance was sincere and deep. Okay, not just surface level stuff. When we talk about mending knots with God, it's not just uh, holding sin in check. It's not just not doing the bad things. It's about, God, my knot is broken from you. Take it from here. Start right here. So David's repentance was sincere and deep. David saw the enormity of his transgression. He saw the defilement of his soul. He loathed his sin. It was not for pardon only that he prayed, but for purity of heart. Yeah. So as you're taking stock of your relationship with God and how, how strong is that not? And maybe you're being honest right now with, oh man, God's hand, it's been on me, but, but I haven't really been appreciating that hand on my shoulder. And it's not so much because of the weight he's been putting on, but because of the weight of your own guilt. And David goes the next step of actually asking God not just to change his behavior, but to cleanse his heart. The reality is that this kind of sorrow for sin, the seeking after heart cleansing, that itself, repentance itself is a gift from God. Repentance itself is a gift from God. It's not something that we come up with on our own. It's a gift from God. And so again, these mending stuff, just to review it, we're looking at a prior assurance. In other words, looking to God's love. And I would say, just as David did, I'm kind of putting some things together. David knew the way of the Lord in the sanctuary. He knew. I mean, his favorite place to hang out was in the So he was looking at God's love as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So be assured. Have that prior assurance. Look to the Lamb of God. Because on the cross, the cross reveals to us a God who loves first, before we ever love him back. The cross reveals to us, or awakens, maybe I should say, awakens a sense of the offensiveness of our sin to God that it would require such a great sacrifice. So this is prior assurance. The other step is having an honest acknowledgement, acknowledging what actually separates us from God, no longer pretending that everything's fine and it'll just go away if we just ignore it long enough, and then asking for heart cleansing, not just seeking modification of behavior outwardly, but seeking for a transformation of heart and mind inwardly. And what's beautiful about this in Psalm 51? It actually shows us what the outcome of walking through these steps, allowing God to do these in our hearts. Uh, in verse 13, you're still in Psalm 51. Notice in verse 13, after he talks about having this joy of salvation, this joy of a renewed relationship, notice the results in verse 13. It says, then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners shall be converted to you. You talk about wanting to cast nets. Prior to this, David had no right to try to tell a sinner how to get right with God. David had no right to explain the gospel and the way of God and the salvation because he wasn't walking with God in that way. It was only because he had allowed God to mend his knot that he could teach transgressors, that he could lead sinners to an experience of conversion. You see, our capacity to lead others is directly related to our capacity to have a mended knot with Jesus. Our ability to lead others to heart conversion is only as strong as our own experience of conversion. And only when we intentionally mend our net can we effectively cast our net to others. I mean, I'm kind of jumping stories here, but recently I've been reading through the Gospel of of Luke and my personal devotions. And uh, just, man, reflecting on Peter's experience in Luke 22, Jesus says, "Ah, Peter, Satan has asked for you to sift you out like wheat, but I have prayed for you. I have prayed for you. And when you're converted, go and strengthen your brethren. When you're converted. Go and strengthen your... When you have amended not with me, then you can teach transgressors about salvation and lead them to conversion. So, question today as we wind down. What is the condition of our not with God? What is the condition of your not, my not with God? Has sin been part of fraying the strength of my connection with Him? If it has... I would appeal to you, just as Paul did in 2 Corinthians 5.20, be reconciled to God. <laughs> be reconciled to God. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, just a few verses later, today is the, salva- today is the day of salvation. Now is the time. Why, why wait? God has taken every step possible. Just let him. Just let him mend your knots. If sin has been part of fraying your connection with God, especially here at the onset of a new year, I would just encourage you to walk the road with David. Have prior assurance that even before you've asked for it, God has given it. Have honest acknowledgement that there's no playing games with God. And ask not just for outward change, but for heart cleansing. Is that your desire today? Yeah. As we enter this new year, I mean, I guess we're already fully into it. Let's seek him today. Let's allow him to mend our knots. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we're asking for the experience of conversion today. And we know that's not something that we can just drum up on our own. It's not something that we can just flex more of our spiritual muscles to work out in our lives. No, this is something that you do in us to will and to do of your good pleasure. And so, Father, thank you for knowing us knowing everything about us and yet loving us anyway. I want to confess our belief that Jesus on Calvary reveals to us a God who loves us first. And today we just give you permission to lead us to heart cleansing. Give us honesty and then give us that deep transformation that only you know we need. We pray for these things in the powerful and saving name of Jesus. Let the family sing. Amen. Amen.